Nicole Strickland. I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. everyone hope you are doing well this thursday night october 20th so 11 days away from halloween 2022 aren't we all excited i know i am we have a great fantastic guest for you tonight of course thank you again for joining us as we explore the connection between life death and beyond right here on the afterlife chronicles on WLTKDB.com. Of course, I'm your host, Nicole Strickland, and you can follow us with that handle right there at WLTKDB, Afterlife Chronicles and Beyond, and AfterlifeChronicles.Podbean.com. So, way to go, Padres. I just have to recap it. Okay, last night's game, or yesterday, yesterday's game, I should say, was amazing. So, Padres won the Phillies 8-5, to five, so go Padres. We're all rooting for them here in San Diego. And then... uh Just a couple of announcements here. Uh, Like I've said on previous shows, I am very excited. My upcoming book, The Afterlife Chronicles, right? Exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond will be published in January 2023. So that is the month that we are shooting for. Very, very excited for that. Uh, Also forgot to mention a couple of seconds ago, uh, we now, many of you already know this, but we now have a station app. So whether you're an iPhone user or a Droid user, you can watch the shows right there on the app. It's great. I've used it. It's wonderful. Uh, new merch as well. Um, I think there's a Halloween special as well going on now, uh, WLTKDB.com. So check out the station merchandise. It's amazing. So let's not uh, dilly-dally anymore. I'm going to do something a little different. Normally, I break at the half hour, but I'm going to go and do our one and only break for the night just because we have a lot to get through tonight. So we're going to do that first, and then when we come back, we will bring tonight's very special guest. So stay tuned. You are tuning into the Afterlife Chronicles right here on WLTKDB. Stay tuned. Ellie Weisenzell, psychic medium, is a medical intuitive that specializes as a body code practitioner. As an energy healer, Ellie offers additional services that allow her modalities to be intertwined with energetic healing. Within your subconscious lies information that knows everything about you and why you deal with specific conditions. The subconscious can be considered the blueprint to your entire body. With Ellie working physically with your subconscious mind, we detect what negative emotions are trapped and where they are stored within the body that is causing you your emotional and physical pain. This work is designed to remove imbalances and correct them energetically, getting to the root cause of why you have your condition to help balance your body so it may heal itself. Your body is infinitely wise and wants to be in balance. 
The body code is not only gentle for humans, but it is also a gentle process to help animals. For more information, contact Ellie Weisensell at the website below. Five minutes past the hour here, 6.05 p.m. Pacific time. You are tuning right back into the Afterlife Chronicles right here on WLTKDB.com. I am your host, Nicole Strickland. We have a fantastic guest for you tonight, Natalie Zett, uh, writer, actor, musician, photographer, an amazing all-around story. So I'm really looking forward to getting her on. In fact, let's bring her on right now. Natalie, how are you doing? Hey, doing great, Nicole. Good. I'm so glad to. I've been really looking forward. Oh, I just scratched my mic with my pencil. Oh, no. Hello. Let's oh, do no. that. I have been looking forward to having you on. Uh, I think your story is amazing. And I, I can't wait for us to dive in uh, and hear all about this and how it how it all came to be, because you have an interesting story where it's not something that you planned. It came to you. And I think <laughs> in many ways, not everyone believes in destiny. I get that. But in a way, mm-hmm. it's when that happens, it's it's very meaningful for us. So let's go ahead and start out just with, you know, how this all started for you and your, um, I forgot to advertise your website too, flowerintheriver.com guys, which is the title of her book as well. So flowerintheriver.com, amazing book. I can't wait to uh, read it myself. So, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and start out a little bit about yourself and uh, how this journey started for you and in, in writing this book and, and go from there. I will, I will do that. Um, so for the most part, I never wanted to write a book. I am a published writer, but uh, I made money as a journalist. And yeah. uh, so I thought, oh, my, there's no money in books. I don't want to do that. And I thought, what do I have to write about? You know, and you, you know the magic, right? Yeah. And so, um, so my story actually began probably in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where I was born, because that's where it all started. I was manufactured there. And for people who don't know about Johnstown, Pennsylvania, it is kind of a character in the novel because Johnstown is known for the one thing. And it's this massive flood that took place in 1889. And there's yeah. a theme through my family. If there's a major disaster, one of my relatives is usually in it. So I had um, my one of my great great aunts was in that flood. She survived. And um and all four of my grandparents immigrated to Johnstown from various locales in Central and Eastern Europe in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So I'm very much of the, I'm a coal miner's granddaughter. Wow. Say that. Yes, yes, ma'am. And, <laughs> um, and um, very Eastern European in terms of, of how we were, um, you know, the, what we were surrounded by and, and that sort of thing. So, so very, I would say humble beginnings and, um, so, so my, my father was an entertainer and he had, he had a radio show in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, home of Jimmy Stewart, people who know that oh, actor. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's my, him. and so that's, that's my family. My family's kind of unusual, but my dad's family, I will say this, you were talking about, you know, your own encounters with the great beyond my father's family, Eastern European, you've seen Dracula, you've seen Frankenstein in the 1930s. My family would be the villagers or perhaps <laughs> The vampires. I don't know. <laughs> that's the fan. I wanted. I, I. I always joke around that I was brought up by the Adams family in some ways, but hey, I wanted normal. Thing. Well, that's it wasn't in a, a way. In a way, <laughs> but you know, when you're a kid, you want just the opposite of what yep. you have. So yep. I did grow up around my father's family. I was very close to them, 
my mother's family is another story altogether, but I was close to them. And I was around people conducting seances, doing psychic readings, talking to the dead, reading tea leaves, you know, coffee grounds, palms, whatever. This was normal. But then as you get older, as I got older, I realized other kids' families don't do these things. So I learned to kind of go into the closet about that. So many closets, so little right. time for years truly. So um, I, and I, it was one of those things where did I believe what they were doing was was happening? Did I have belief in it? Absolutely. Did mm -hmm. I want any part of it? Not really. I thought that's really not going to help me. I've got to get on with my life. So that that was my beginning. And, and my family moved to Cleveland because my dad got a job on a radio station. Oh, and again, fantastic. Yeah. But, but you know, back in the day, the money just wasn't there for those types of, of jobs. So dad, when dad's father died, when dad was 12, 13 years old. So dad never finished high school or anything. So he ended up, you know, blue collar mom worked for the post office. So that's, that's my family again. And, but I always had higher aspirations for myself. That was one thing. And the other thing too, is when I was growing up, particularly in Cleveland, I thought I don't belong here. I miss Johnstown, but it was one of those places where people had to leave because there was no work in Johnstown. Right. Dear beloved Johnstown, place of my heart, no work. And yeah. so that's my sort of, um, again, the humble beginnings were there. And I always wanted to do things like, right. I wanted to perform like my dad was a performer and also we're part on my dad's side, part Romani. And so that enters into the fun too. So we've got this real, I call it a goulash, a DNA goulash on that side. We're a little bit of this, a little bit of whatever. And so, but all those, for whatever reason, I was able to tap into those ancestors without really wanting to eschewing my family but also realizing i was drawn to certain things of course and it's a usual kind of conundrum that people get into so i'm growing up just thinking i'm going to have somewhat ordinary life even though i was brought up by those people and but i thought i've got to get out of cleveland this is not right i need to leave um and there was this feeling too that i just i was having trouble with my family not not necessarily not getting along, but to say they did not accept who I was. I was a little too out there for them. And I, as you can see in my, my bio, I get bored easily. So I like to do different things. And my family was trying to get me, you need to do one thing. You need to do something normal. You got to make a living. Don't forget. Blah, blah, blah. And, um, and again, for school and stuff, I had to put myself through college and grad school and things like that. So it was, it was a tough go. That's amazing. But, um, Oh, it was, it was, you know, I, I, looking back, it was great, but at the time, you know, it's fun now, but it's like, oh, back then I thought I'm going to die. You know, I'm never going to finish this. I will die. And then right. I'll get my if degree. I, if I had to go back to school right now, I think I would too. Posthumous degree awarded to yeah, anyway. So yeah, so that, that's the kind of, and I, and I lived all over the place. I did some really interesting, unusual, wacky things, lived in a religious community, AKA called for a number of years and so I did some really, I was exploring, I was seeking, and I was seeking through traditional types of religious things. My family's all mixed too religiously. So we have Catholic, Jewish, uh, Protestant. Wow, that's Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, Byzantine, Eastern Byzantine, Russian oh, Orthodox. Wow. Yeah, I really am all those things inside. And I was always say, girls, you're all pretty. I can't select one, but I I'm able to tap into certain. I went to a Ukrainian festival a few years ago, my dear oh, Ukrainian wow. families. We have a Ukrainian center in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. And I was standing in line with my little food ticket. I was in the line and the woman started yelling at me in Ukrainian, telling me to get into the kitchen. And I was late. I thought, we all look alike, I guess. So it's just one of those I, kind of funny I guess so. 
<laughs> roll that cabbage. Those cabbage rolls don't get rolled by themselves there, sister. I said, got my ticket. So <laughs> I, I become whoever I'm with, I guess. I'm a chameleon. But that's the family background. Again, I was always writing and again, living. And I moved to the Twin Cities uh, over 30 years ago to attend school. And again, was getting along better with my family. They were still in Cleveland going back and forth. But, you know, I would not say close. I would say my family of choice. That was my family. My family of origin had not a whole lot to do with who I was. I made my own choices. I was really firm on that. Good for you. Well, here comes the pie in the face. Um, no, so boy. in 96, my father died. Oh. And yeah, and it was one of those things where I was close to my dad. I loved his family. And when he died, it was like, I don't know what people, what, everybody doesn't experience this, but I experienced this like a hollowing out of my soul. Right. I literally was walking around like the golem, not the thing from Lord of the Rings, but basically an animated life force, but there was nothing inside. Right. And I was so, um, my grief took on some epic proportions and a lot of regret. A lot of, oh, why couldn't you have been more normal, you know, myself, stuff like that. So I'm embarrassed by family. But I think that was okay to go through that kind of self-reflection because I really had to look at myself. And then the midst of that, here's where, here's where things start to get wacky. Um, about a year after my father's death, my mother's sister in Chicago, this is my mother's side again, not real close to them at all. I thought the woman was dead. She was a former reporter in Chicago in the 1930s. Okay. And she decided to put together this massive family history from my mother's side. My mother knew nothing of her side of the family because her own mother died when my mom was three. And that part of the family was in Johnstown. Her father raised her in Johnstown. The rest was in Chicago. And back in 19, my mother was born in 1931. Travel wasn't the way it is now. So she really never saw her sister, her half sister. She had an older half brother as well. But, um, this woman felt compelled to send me this document. She said, I heard your published writer. Your mom sent me some your stuff. It's really good. You need to do something with this document. And I thought, huh? And so I started, I think any other time, had my dad not been dead and me displayed open, I wouldn't have been open to this. I would have thought, oh, yeah, throw it in the drawer. Exactly. I, start, yeah. I started looking at it and I thought, holy moly. I started to see that my grandmother, my mother's mother, had all these siblings, not only that, that my great grandparents were live had lived in Chicago, and I didn't know that. Oh wow. And then I always felt a connection with Chicago, so that's another type of thing. But then I started reading individual bios of each family member. And there was that one story about a ship that capsized in Chicago in 1915, where a lot of people were killed. 844. That's, that's a massive amount for that time. And it's funny that I was looking at all the different, I was looking at the old newspaper clippings here and they had 1000 people dying, 2,500 people dying. I think the final number is 844. Even when I was researching the book initially, which was 25 years ago or so, they had different numbers. So I think this is the final tally. So I thought, and I knew Chicago history. I was always drawn to Chicago. I mean, the St. Valentine day massacre love carl sandberg he's in my website he's in my book um i loved chicago i didn't know why and so i thought i've never heard of this thing this and then i saw that my grandmother's my mother's mother's younger sister who was 19 years old was killed while she was aboard this thing with all those oh my people. gosh and 
I was, as a journalist, I mean, I had a regular several gigs around the Twin Cities. I was well-known and well-known as a journalist. I thought, well, I have a guaranteed spot to write about this thing that happened. Absolutely. And, and at first it was just a, a research project, like any other research project, like any other article I had written for years and years. And what was strange, Nicole, is I went to the library. This is 1997, 98 nothing on the Eastland. I was just going to ask you what mm -hmm. other articles had been written on it, because doesn't this remain still in the Great Lakes, the most, the largest, I guess. Uh, I think it is. Tragedy? I think it, 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 yeah, it was, it, there's a lot, it, it's just weird, but there was nothing around at that point. And if you all remember, if you all are old enough to remember the internet in its infancy, the information was not there like it is now. So there, and then when I was in the midst of doing the research, a website suddenly popped up, which was great. And this Eastland Disaster Historical Society, love these folks, they came to be, but that wasn't until later. So I'm going, I'm thinking, this is going to be easy. I'll just write about this thing. I thought, oh, I thought, why in the hell has nothing been written about this? Right. It's crazy how and that it, is. And in the meantime, I was going back and forth with my mother's sister, my aunt Pearl, who was sending me all these photos of this woman who was killed. And as the, she started to come alive for me and it wasn't just the horrible story, but I just thought those photos, oh my God, she looks at certain ages so much like my sister. She looks so much like me at certain junctures. Then the final picture of her with her woman friends dressed in men's clothing, smoking cigarettes, just looking like a bunch of badasses. I saw, oh, I was, her. she's beautiful. I mean, I, I Thank see, you. there's pictures of her on your website, flowerintheriver.com. And I know I looked at that photo and I actually smiled because you can tell they were having a lot of fun when that they photo were was taken. causing trouble. I mean, it's just, but it started, <laughs> it started to get under my skin. Yeah. And I had never, I had never had anything about my family connect me like this before. And I thought, Ooh, something else is going on here. But mm -hmm. I, I committed to writing an article about this, but I was just not getting enough information. And I wasn't satisfied with the article. I was taking scraps built and I wanted it to be as honest and true as possible. So I thought right. I needed to go to the cemetery in Chicago. So for people who aren't from the United States or who don't know the, the geography, it's about mm, six, seven hour drive from the twin cities, kind of Southeast. Well, I mean, I get lost a lot. So I sort of, for me, 25 hours, but I mean, basically it's about a seven, eight hour drive. And I thought, well, I'm going to make a weekend, a long weekend of it. So I thought I'll spend part of the time in Wisconsin, drive down to Chicago, find the grave. And I don't know, maybe I'll have, but I wasn't sure of the questions I was asking either. I was like, right. I was, I hate to use the word possessed because that has negative connotations, but I'll say I was, I was going through a magnificent obsession. There you go. I like that. Okay. I like that that. That's awesome. Okay. Right? So I I've was been there. I know what that's like. Okay. I know, you know, and I know probably anybody who's listening to this knows because <laughs> why else would you be here? Right. But I, but I'd never, I want to stop and say, I'd never felt that kind of connection to my family like this before. And I thought, Oh my God, what if everything I thought about them was wrong? Oh Lord. And, um, so, so um, long story condensed, Cliff Notes version, I stayed in Wisconsin overnight preparing to go to Chicago the next day. I'll go to the cemetery. Easy. And that night in the hotel in Wisconsin, stuff started happening. And I still don't know what the stuff was. There were noises oh, of what? undetermined oh origin. God. I know. And I am not, even though I was brought up around this stuff, I, I, I tend to be more skeptical. And I also learned that, too, from my very spooky relatives to be very discerning 
do not That's believe good. everything or anybody. Be. I was I was brought up by psychic snobs, basically. I think of the, of the family on my, my dad's side. They were very much like they would go to places like Lilydale or whatever and come back and complain. So they were snobby. But but I, I learned also to be very uh, careful about yeah. who and what I let in. And I was not that anxious for connection with the other side. Thank you. I thought, oh, I know what this is going to do to me. Um, I had a feeling. So, but in the hotel room, noises and and visions and all this other stuff. And I thought, am I cracking here? Because it was my, you know, I'm still feeling like I was in both two worlds of my father's death. Now this, and I thought, what is going on? Wow. And did, were you having these visions in an awake state or did they come to you more? Oh, in an awake state. That's what was so disturbing. Wow. And, that's ins- Oh my gosh. And I was scared, but I, I suppose this will make sense to you and probably anybody else who's listening to the scared, but not, not like you're afraid of a person doing something right. to you. And somebody asked me, well, it's like my aunt Pearl, God love her. She's always evil spirit. I said, no, it's not an evil spirit. It was just weird. I mean, right. you don't expect mm-hmm. that to be happening, right? I mean, I thought, I'm going to just watch some cable. And he's like, oh, my God. So um, so it was, but it was very much a sense of there's somebody else in here with me. And I thought, okay, let's pretend that this is happening because it is. And I thought, what do you want? Um, what do you want? And so I didn't sleep that night. And at least not very long. And then I did kind of pop awake at 6 a.m. and I hit the road. And I thought, what was that? And so all the way down to, again, this is before the days of Google Maps or all that sort of thing. And again, no sense of direction. So I had MapQuest. Remember that? Oh, yes. I was trying to find the cemetery. And I had a really difficult time finding it. Finally did. And when I looked at it, I I thought, oh, my God, is it going to be open? It was Labor Day weekend. It was open. It was massive. It is massive. It's Bethania Cemetery on Archer Avenue. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Well, you probably yes. heard of Resurrection Cemetery yes, and Resurrection I've been there. Mary, our I've neighbor. Been there. Right. Yep. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. So it's right next to that. And wow. the problem was, I parked my car and I thought, I didn't know where the grave was. I didn't know how to find it. And there was nobody in the office, nobody anywhere. And I thought, Oh my God, it's huge. So I thought, well, Natalie, I drove all this way. Let's just start walking. So I went up and down and up and down. And it was really hot. And I was feeling like I was out of my mind. And I thought only a crazy person would do this. And I thought, oh God. And so I was just, I think the word is discombobulated. And I asked, uh, there was a guy digging in the back, not Grace, but he was just digging around. He was a caretaker. And he said, you're, he said, it's really huge. You're probably not going to find him. Can you wait till Tuesday? I said, no. <laughs> you're like, I'm here now. I want to find it. him <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was getting oh kind of whatever. And I just, I said, nope, they're my family. I will find them or they'll find me. And so I started walking back, feeling like I just the shame that was overwhelming me, the foolishness. I felt just all this stuff. And I walked back to my car and I was walking back to my car. And then I was like, I tripped over something. I was almost like I was pushed, didn't fall, but it was like this sort of redirection that happened to like go to the front of the car. I walked to the front of my car. I was going to get a drink. And then I looked, I thought I parked right in front of the graves. And oh, I see, oh did my not gosh. see it. I did not whoa. see it. Whoa, whoa, I cannot whoa. explain it. I whoa, can't explain whoa, whoa. it. Wow. Um, and there was a tiny little tree in front of their graves. I'll talk about the graves too. It was like three, like three little trees that had interwoven Oh my God. Look like the opening of Charmed. I mean, it was I just mean, like <laughs> this is like synchronicity upon synchronicity upon synchronicity right here. This is and just I've, amazing. I never experienced anything like that before. And I thought, what is this? Um, 
and again, I'm not all in with this stuff either at this point. Um, and so I just, the grave graves are quite lovely. The, the, the headstone for my great aunt who was killed, it's huge. It's huge marble, dark marble. Oh, and wow. it's gorgeous. I have a photo of that on the website as well. Um, but it says, uh, Martha Pfeiffer, um, Rest in peace in German. And it says Alf de Eastland on the Eastland. Oh, wow. And which cost, I, I learned later, cost extra to have that inscribed. But I thought somebody wanted somebody in the future to know how she died. Absolutely. She was one of those. Below her was her baby sister who died at age three in Chicago of something called black diphtheria. She, she was an infant. I have her photo too. She was quite lovely. And behind their graves are the graves of my great grandparents. So there they are. So the whole family's there. And this, the, the stone had a little jut, like another stone that it was sitting on top. So I just sat on it. It was like, it was a couch. I thought, hi, here I am. And, um, and then at that point, again, I did have one of those, I closed my eyes and I did see a living room of all these people. And I thought, okay, let's just go with this. And they were they were talking. I heard nothing. It was just so brief. And I thought, they're all here. And all of the relatives, because my grandmother and Martha, my Aunt Martha had all these brothers and sisters. I thought, you're all here. And I said, I stood up and I said, I am so sorry. I didn't know you were here. It did it never dawned on me to even search for you because of my mother's father's family. That's a whole other book. But um but that because of that group, I just basically had wanted nothing much to do with my mother's side of the family. So I'd never thought of exploring it. And so when I was there, I thought, oh my God. The other thing too is just I think any person who becomes a genealogist finally recognizes I'm here because you once were. My great grandparents made that decision to come to this country and i just you know yeah i was remembering that again today and i thought oh my gosh and then just standing there i started crying and i thought of oh course. my lord and it was just it was just i think just from exhaustion feeling crazy and feeling this still this leftover grief from my father but it was like it was like everything just kind of on top of each other and i thought oh god i thought Got to get back to to the Twin Cities, but I thought. But when I was looking at the grave, it it had a nice reflection. My face was superimposed on the headstone of Martha's, and I thought, from this day forward, I am forever branded with your name, your cause of death on my life, and I didn't know how prescient that was. That's very eloquently said, and you know, it goes to show that you know you can foster the connection even after someone departs oh, yeah. this plane, oh, even yeah. stronger. So this is a prime example of that. Yeah, wow. I'll start to tell you about all the trouble she started causing, but but she's 19 <laughs> forever, you know, forever 19. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was, it was just one of those those moments where I, I could never get back the emotion. I wish I could sometimes so that those first yeah. findings of something. And what I realized many years later, what I learned from another um, genealogist, Hank Z. Jones, he wrote a couple books on psychic genealogies. And he said, it is so typical. I was not special at all. It's very typical to be go, to go looking for graves and yeah, go right in front of them or you land with them. It's like they find you. They find you, right. Yeah. And I thought I was special, but apparently not. And so, but it was one of those things because I had no access to that book. And I really, again, I didn't really, I didn't even know how to do a family history at that point. I thought, well, I don't know. Uh, I was told when I was a kid, since I wasn't a Mayflower person, that I didn't have a history. And when I would ask my mother about what about our family records, they were all burned in the war. 
not not sure which war, Spanish American, World War II, but it's like we don't have a history. So in other words, like my fellow Carpathian Rus and Andy Warhol, I always say I am from nowhere. I have this quoted down because I I mean this is right here. I, mm-hmm. I, amazing. I am from nowhere. You can be mm-hmm. all things when you're from nowhere because yeah. you end up being from everywhere. That is true. That's like very prophetic and, and very profound. Thank you. Good stuff. Oh, thank you. Well, that, that is, there's really, there's a fluidity. Um, my partner's often said this too. There's a way where I can just go from thing to thing and it's, it's quite natural. It's not contrived. It's not anything. It's just, I am all those people. Mm-hmm. And because they're living inside me and it's just like, they, they seem to be, you know, hanging, taking up space here. So it's like, okay, whatever. Um, but I did get back to, to the Twin Cities and I did write the article. But here's the other thing that happened. It was just like, I felt like, okay, it will be done. I'll have it to my editor. In the midst of writing the article, I was living at that point. I was single living at that point in a very small apartment in, in St. Paul. And in my, my bedroom, my office, I was typing my little article. And this is, oh, it's coming together so nice. And all of a sudden, bang, in the, the yeah in the the kitchen was not that far just a few feet from the from the um my bedroom all the stuff on top of my refrigerator because that's where you store things when you're you know have a small place to live was on the floor saint paul is not on an earthquake fault line as i often yeah, say not like us out here no way no not like we're not we're not no. san diego <laughs> a lot of my relatives relocated to San Diego, by the way, and all the stories about the earthquakes. Oh, yes. We just yes, had one ma'am. a couple of weeks ago. Yep. No, no. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that, yeah, that was quite traumatizing. Um, so <laughs> no earthquakes and everything was on the floor. And I thought, oh, and at first, OK, I picked everything up, put it back on the refrigerator. I thought, I'm not sure how that happened, but I, I kind of knew how that happened. But I thought, oh, no, 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 no. Deny, deny, deny. So I went back into kept writing maybe 15 minutes later. Same thing. More stuff was thrown. Interesting. And then um, I thought, oh, my God. Then I thought, oh, I wasn't sure what I thought, to be honest with you. I was just almost like an automaton at that point. So I threw everything on the refrigerator and I stood there. I thought, don't you dare. I was were you hit. on a specific theme as when you were just writing? Finish, two, just finish? Just finishing, talking about the cemetery, talking about everything. No. Um and then after the third time it happened. I think we have a, a cut there in the audio. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Uh, um, okay. uh, oh, there you are. Are you back? Oh, yeah, yep, there yeah you I are. came yeah. back. Yeah. I shut uh, down. Maybe I, I don't know if other people could hear. There was a cut there, yeah. at least from yeah, mine. But okay. Go ahead. Okay. So I, was, I, just, I just stood there with all the, the stuff on the floor. I thought, God, couldn't you? So there's another uh, cut there in the audio. Um, just oh, there you are. Sorry. Well, yeah, it's, you can, I'm sorry. Just uh, yeah, no worries, no worries. It, even rebooted. Let me just. Yeah, I have yeah, everything shut down. It. I have no browsers. Down. Anyway, so okay, Martha quit playing with the stuff. Anyway, um, she's a trickster. <laughs> I so, was going to ask you who you think it was. Yeah. I think it. Well, yeah, I do. And then I, I was, I was getting kind of. I thought this is just getting getting so weird. And when I got, I was really kind of scared. And I thought, who can I talk about this with? Nobody. I thought, I'll call my mommy. She was in Cleveland. And my mother is very, was very much uh, skeptical, but open skeptic, I would say, like I am. And I called her and I said, oh, mom, I got all this information about your Aunt Martha. I've got photos. I've got everything from the, the cemetery. She said, really? I said, yeah. 
And I got some rocks. I'll send them to you and the pictures. And I said, I think I bought something else back from the cemetery too. She said, well, what's that? I said, Aunt Martha. And she said, she listened to me talk a little bit. And again, she said, and I was telling her about the stuff that was happening. She said, well, I didn't want to say anything, but after your dad died, stuff like that started happening in the house as well. Oh, wow. Interesting. We, We experienced some of that. So I said, well, what am I supposed to do? She said, well, I don't know. She said, she's not going to hurt you. She said, just, she's just, eh, whatever. And she hung up, which is typical because my mom, the emotion of it was hard. So until she comes back, just a little recap on the um, Eastland disaster. I don't know. I think it wasn't mentioned. It was uh, launched May 6, 1903, known as the Speed Queen of the Great Lakes. So it was a charter mm-hmm. ship for the Western Electric Annuals Picnic. I think mm-hmm. it went from Chicago to, um, uh, where was it? That it went from Chicago to, I think, Indiana, I think. So I, you're back. You can hear me, right? Yes. No. Okay. I keep, yeah. That's weird. I've never that's had this so bizarre. Thing. Yeah. No, I don't think it's, yeah, maybe don't worry, worry about should, it. We'll just, should we'll I just lock, play should with it. Should I no, just keep, okay, yeah, keep, just talking. keep going with it? Yeah. Okay, just keep all right, going keep with going. It. Don't worry about it. Yes. This is true about the Eastland. So here's, here's the kicker. Um, we, I, we didn't know the Western electric um, company annual picnic is why that ship was, I'm jumping around why that ship was there to begin with. They were supposed to, this, these were for the, this excursion was for the employees of Western electric, which was probably the Silicon Valley of its time or whatever Microsoft, because it employed so many working class people in Chicago. They made telephones. They got into sound in terms of the early uh, motion pictures. They were into everything cabling. There was nothing they didn't touch. And these annual they excursions were, were like vacations for them the, because they, yeah, they were photo ops. Take many vacations. No, they, no, they didn't. They worked seven days a week. There were no unions, no workers' rights, things like that, which my mother's sister reminded me of. Um, but here's the kicker. The kicker is this: my grandmother worked for Western Electric. Okay. My mo- my my her sister who was killed did not. She gave her sister the tickets because the. The event was supposed to be filled with young people, and she thought, you know, maybe she could meet someone because she had just her fiance left. Her fiance moved to California and left her for somebody else. So she thought, okay, this will be a chance for Martha to meet some people, have some fun. Martha should not have been on that ship. My grandmother should have been. Oh my gosh! So when I learned that, it was one of those things where I thought, I owe you one. And I thought, I'm not sure what to do here. This is still in kind of being confused about the whole thing, but I'm going to try to dig up this history. and I'm going to make sure that you're known. The other thing I know that she wanted to do, because I learned from my, my um, mother's sister, she wanted to travel all over the world. And whenever I look at my Squarespace stats, which shows where, where the book is or the website's being looked at India, Russia, there you go. China, I said, you got your wish. Didn't she want to be a writer as well and an artist? She, yeah, so. she wanted to be a writer and an artist. Oh. She wanted to do all those. I know. And I think, yeah, I know. It's one of those things where I thought, how much of me is me? But right. Um, <laughs> there's definitely a connection there for you know, beyond a, just the familial line. There's definitely there, there a connection. There, there, there truly is. And that's so that was the kind of thing. So I, I really need to make it clear, too, that I was not all in. I was not a believer. This stuff was actually I was experiencing it. I didn't know anything about after death communication or anything like that and i started researching like crazy Mm -hmm. yeah um and the other thing i want to go back to and i do jump around quite a bit 
when I That's moved to fine. the twin, twin Cities, I moved here because it was original. I had no, I, I didn't know anybody from here. I certainly wasn't related to anybody that I knew of. And when I got deeper into my aunt's document that she created about her, the family history, I was seeing these other names and locations of my great, great grandmother and her children. They relocated to Western Wisconsin, just across the border from where I was living. So in other words, about an hour and a half from where I moved. No, that's close. And so what I, if I moved up here because oddly enough, it felt familiar. So again, I don't, I don't know which coincidence number we're at, but it was like those kind of things. Where I thought, <laughs> I thought, so I had to change my whole philosophy of life very quickly because I thought, I don't think I'm in charge of this. Exactly. Yeah. Some, some divine, something bigger well, than something you was going is, on. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I thought I followed this woman. So Martha, my, my aunt who was killed, was born in Johnstown. I was born in Johnstown. Her family moved westward. My family moved westward, you know, Midwestward anyway, Cleveland, Chicago. And then the other branch of that family that, which is the Wisconsin people, that would be um, Martha's grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, aunts and uncles moved up to Wisconsin. And I've since, uh, when I was researching, I just didn't know what to do. And there were people that I met that had remembered the Eastland from that family. They were much, they were there. They've all passed on since, but I did meet people who knew of the, of the disaster. I met one other cousin who actually remembered Martha in the coffin. She was four years old at the time. Oh, so she said, Oh, I remember it. And she, I feature her in the book because she was such a crank, but she was great. She said, yeah, that tore the whole family up. It wrecked everything. Just, just messed the family up. And the other thing about that that story is that, okay, so Western Wisconsin, like I'm he hemmed in. As I did deeper research on the family, I found out that my mother's mother left her first husband. He was abusive, I guess. And my great-great-grandmother either shoved him over a railing or it was intentional. I don't know. But anyway, so great-grandma, religious as she was, knocked knocked him over the rail and out he went so he was gone oh my he was gosh. yeah so i mean there's some stuff in that family but anyway it's a wild bunch there's stuff in all families there is but this this is like you can't make these people up um <laughs> but but my my grandmother you know she married my grandfather in johnstown and then three years later she passed away from a heart attack but she was quite young but i think that she was trying she was the one who identified martha at the morgue she was the one who gave martha the tickets i'm sure that factored into her early demise. I'm sh yeah, that makes absolute sense. The regret. Yes. Yeah. So, so that, that is, that is the story that I grew up not knowing. That's why I call the first chapter in the book, a family tale finally told or family tale until untold, I should say the first, but the tagline is the family tale finally told. I should not have found this story. I, there were so many should, 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 it should have gotten lost. It didn't. It didn't. It resurrected around the right time i would have to say the timing was perfect in terms of my openness there's always a time and place for everything right well kind of yeah i hate i i really i try also i think it's the writer in me too i tried not to lean on some of these cliches but i have to yeah. say nicole there were too many weird things that were going on with that and um again i've, I've reconnected with that side of the family and my mother was just amazed i think the That's biggest truly gift, amazing the biggest gift is that my mother grew up not knowing her mother. And she used to always say to me, you don't miss what you never had. And my mother was kind of tough that way. You know, just like, it's okay. I don't, I don't need to know this. And then when I started finding things, she was speechless. I would give I her, imagine. I would give her like, I would give her articles. I would give her stuff about the Eastland. I said, did you know any of this? She said, no, how could I, you know? 
And I think she couldn't express it, but she would just, she would just take it all in. And she said, and then I did write the article and she said, Oh, that's a really good article. And she said, that's a shame though, isn't it? That that happened to her. I said, yeah, it is mom. It really is. And I said, I have to wonder what would have happened had they not made that move to Chicago. I mean, if, 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 but I do wonder right. um, had they moved to Wisconsin, whatever, but by, certain choices we make it's like a domino effect it is absolutely a domino effect and i yeah. think i read on i think it's the eastlanddisaster.org i think mm -hmm. was it over 70 percent under 25 that parish they were young and most of them were women <sighs> young women and i mean there's some i mean my book isn't i mean the eastland is is a character in the book it's like something that stephen king should write about it's that thing they didn't decommission that sucker until like the 1940s they kept resurrecting it but but it's not really about that. So many books have been done who are by people who are really excel at maritime history. That's not what this is. But it's a character that starts the explosion of this domino effect that carries the trauma that carries from generation to generation. Even if you don't know about it, I think the biggest thing is when you don't know about it, you start acting in weird ways. You don't know mm -hmm. why you're like I was afraid of mm -hmm. boats when I was a little kid. I was not afraid of anything. I was, I felt compelled to move, to, to move up here. I love Chicago. But the other aspect of it was, I think through writing the book and through, you know, going, my mother was one of my biggest um, critics because she was such a good writer herself and she would read the chapters. And I think through, she finally got to see it two weeks before she died. The, the completed book. Yeah. I actually, I didn't finish the edits. I got it out because I knew she was going. It's like she was in hospice for a couple of years, but she got to see it, it published at the end of December. She died mid January. And she said to me before she died, she said, well, I hope I get to see that damn book before I croak. And um, we have this gallow sense of humor in the family. That's how we cope with a tragedy. Sounds like tough exterior, but you know, yeah, it was just, sort of she said, it, definitely. And I thought through that process, I, I don't think a person, when you do something like this, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, there's this, I went through the motions and certainly even since she died, I mean, it was the yeah, other release of the book. My mother dies. It's been very hard for me again to occupy my body at this point. It's just like, I'm only now figuring out, Oh yeah. Um, why are people interested in this? I mean, I, I did not write the, I, I basically, I independently published it. No, I was a published writer, but no, uh, no agent would take it because it wasn't marketable. In their in mind, right in their mind. Right. And I, I get that. They've got to make money. I get that. But by the same token, I thought, I will take care of the story. Mm -hmm. I work full time. I will take care of you, Martha. I will, I will take, you don't have to take care of me. The book does not have to take care of me. I take care of the book. And it I sounds like she was story. guiding you as well, as well as your family. You know, I a lot of so. like guidance from beyond, it sounds like. It feels like, it feels like, and it feels very natural, but I would have to say at the time, it was very disconcerting. I mean, the stuff on the refrigerator, that business stopped. But I would have to say for at least two years afterward, as I was getting into the story and putting pieces together, because remember, I knew nothing about how to do a, a family history or genealogy. And ancestry was not affordable to, to me back then. And they didn't do the DNA testing back then anyway. Right. And I started accumulating what I thought was a long article. It turned out I had thousands and thousands and thousands of words. I thought maybe this could be a book. I don't know. <laughs> But in the Isn't midst that funny of how that works out, I mean, an article that wouldn't stop. Yeah. And I had, right? everything, but it was not, it wasn't, well, here's what happened about uh, 2000, 2001. Um, I really started accumulating. I thought I'm going to do, do this. I was in a really bad car accident, a really bad one. 
where it affected my cognitive abilities. So thank God I wrote down what I did because my memories were kind of all over the place. And I really couldn't write sustainable writing for about seven, eight years after that. Oh my goodness. So I had to put it in the drawer and be, I had to figure out how to heal myself. There wasn't much available on, you know, traumatic brain injury, things like that back then again. And I thought I had to kind of piece something together and it was a trip. It's like, Oh my God, I can't remember you know, what I did. <laughs> and it took, but I thought oh, somehow again, though I trusted that it would be okay. I will never be back to what I was, but there'll be a new version of me. And I trusted it. And I was, after I got upset and angry and resentful, and I felt like I was abandoned by everything and everybody. And I did have one of those out of the body experiences too. When that happened to it was like, whoops, up we go. And I thought, maybe I'm just going to keep going. And nope, I was back with all that pain. I let it go. And I think that's an important part of the creative process too, to be invested. As you know, I mean, you put together the beautiful sheet that I, I complimented you on, Nicole. I love that's that. That's a sheet. word because, document right there. I love it because you prepared <laughs> and I prepared as much as I could. But again, I had no control over getting hit by a car. I did not bring that on myself. Sorry, that was not part of my karmic debt or anything. I don't buy into any of that. It's just somebody crashed a stop sign. Yep. And then I had to learn how to figure things out. And so, um, and out of that became, grew my work with web accessibility and people with disabilities and things like that. So that was all, that was actually kind of cool. I mean, I always make something out of something, but I'm not a real good, um, oh, it's just, you know, it's going to be okay. It's like the hell it is. I'm not, I'm not compliant at all with anything. So I think that creative process strengthens and improves too. the, the, the more challenges you have. I think you're right. But at the time, I, think I would there not is have a said link that. To that. Yeah. Mm. Pardon me. But um, no, right. Yeah. Um, I'm also very introverted and I'm not used to talking. So it's just like, oh. but this I'm getting awesome. that way with all these, with all these podcasts, this but uh, such a cool story. I just, oh, well, thank you. I'd love to have you back. Cause I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much more to talk about. So We'll have to do that if you're interested. But, oh, I would love to. Are you kidding? Part you know, one of the questions I have for you is why sure. do you think some of these tragic stories hmm. become so misplaced and forgotten, whereas others such as, you know, like the Titanic are everywhere? I, you know, it's really, even if I had the answer for you tonight, I'm not sure it would help anything. But I think honestly, the class of the people has a lot to do with it. And I don't say that I'm some downtrodden Eastern European person, but I am an Eastern European person. And I know the way we are the villagers in the Frankenstein movies. Okay. And we are, you know, we're, we're swinging to the polka and all this other stuff. And we're considered the laborers. We're considered the blue collar people. We are the dispensable people. I mean, I look at some of the history, my grandfather, my dad's dad was in a terrible mining accident and it cost him nearly cost him his leg and the gangrene that consumed him was so the pain was so horrible. He hung himself. Oh my gosh. And there's so many stories of people mm -hmm. in Johnstown that were in the mines, mining accidents, things like that. And again, it's like, has it really changed? Certain classes of people are considered dispensable. And again, the Eastland people, like my, my mother's sister reminded me, she said there was no union, there was no advocacy, FDR was not president, so there were no social services types of things. There was a Red Cross, Clara Barton, who helped with the um, the Johnstown flood, was also there for the, for the I Eastland. I read that. Yes, and I've got the, the transcripts from those, those um, records, which was really helpful for uh, our family. So they got some money from them. They got some money from a 
disaster um, society that was formed. Actually, there was some debate about whether people got money or not. So there were so many families that were affected. But again, um, like my aunt said, she said they couldn't go and riot in the streets. They had to get back to work. They would have starved. And at the time of my aunt's, um, when she died, she was one of the sole supports for her widowed mother because her own father had died, who was a blacksmith. Again, another blacksmith laborer uh, 14 months before. So they had to just get, as they, perhaps many of them drank their way through, but um, but they just got through it. And again, the did the trauma revisit all of them? Yeah, my, my um, grandmother's and Martha's youngest brother got involved with the Dillinger gang. He had to get out of Chicago, ended up in northwestern Wisconsin, not too far from here, and married a Native American woman, settled down and became one of those salt of the earth kinds of guys. But again, they, they were just under siege. And right. they didn't talk, especially the guys, they didn't talk about emotions. No, you know, yeah. Let's hit each other or whatever, you know, whatever. And smoke, 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 drink, 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 whatever. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the class of people. A lot of it has to do with the fact that it was a big corporation. Carl Sandburg's Eastland poem, which I think might have been banned now. I can't find I it actually, anywhere. I read it earlier. I found it on Google. Oh, did you? Okay, great. Yeah. Great. I'm glad. I had a hard time relocating it, but it's, I put it in my book, but it's really a gay thing it's not just it about is. the eastland but it's he's talking about yeah i see dozens of eastlands on the way to and from work but he was talking about the state of the working class in america at that point unwanted children back alley abortions things like that has anything changed i mean it's just it's just this type of thing that he was just relentless in his uh, indictment of these corporations and i think and your theory applies even to incidents today that's and it infuriates yeah. me. I thought, my God, here comes the Eastland, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And people without a voice, people who don't know. Again, many of many of the people, the employees of Western Electric, like my family, the the children were fluent in English, but a lot of times the parents, the older generations, were not. Even my family, the ones I grew up around, who were from the old country, they didn't bother learning the language. Why bother? The kids will translate for you, you know. So um, it's that type of thing too. So it's a language barrier. It's a lack of social services. Um, I mean, there were things like Jane Addams, Hull House and Settlement Houses and things like that, but that didn't necessarily reach everyone. So they just had to carry on and deal with what it was. So I think that's part of it. But the one thing that the Eastland had that the Titanic did not have, there was this incredible Japanese American photographer on the scene to photograph the, you know, the event. Oh, the June Fujita. Are, Aren't yeah. they amazing? They're but, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, hard to look at some of them. Hard to Don't look at. Wrong, they're, they're, wow. They're, but he did. Oh, I mean, I think he was the main photographer and he went. The other, the other thing I should should mention, too, is in the book, but it's worth mentioning is that they didn't know where to put all the bodies. So right. there were all those people. And then we had the injured and things like that. So some were kept in the Reed um, uh, Murdoch warehouse, which is still standing today. But the others went to guess where the second regiment armory, which a.k.a. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's. Harpo Studios. Studios. Yeah. So, oh, and it makes me wonder if they've had. I heard that they had. I heard oh, that there they you had. Go. Yeah. Even though it's even though it's McDonald's headquarters now, which just seems so wrong. But mm. oh, oh, what are you going to do? Yeah. I know it is. It's just, but but I saw it <laughs> when it was open. I know it's like ah, but it's still there. I mean, and in terms of people have asked me, do you, did you feel anything at the disaster site? Because I've been there many, many times. No, where I felt the vibrations and where my friend, uh, who was my photographer at the time was feeling the vibrations was in front of the house where my great grandparents and Martha lived. 
That makes sense. That house still stands. And it was just like people were touching us. And we got into the car afterwards. And, and my friend said, no, <laughs> I felt something. I felt somebody touching my hands. And then she kind of got relaxed with it. And she said, I, I think they're welcoming us. But that was the most palpable sensations were, were there, not at the disaster site. I felt sadness. The disaster site is at Clark and LaSalle. Chicago River off of Wacker Drive for those who know Chicago. I've used I've be. actually been to it where the plaque is. Yeah. Oh, thank and you there is, for being there. Oh. Yeah. There, there's almost a sense of peace there. there I don't is. really it's... feel maybe a little tiny bit for me when I was mm -hmm. there, a little Did sadness, you? but that was probably my sadness. But generally it's like a it's a very it's nice not... location, actually. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's like and it's it's well hidden. So I've never felt and I never tried to make anything happen, but the absurdity of how peaceful it is now. And I thought, what did you look like on that day when all oh, that ship was oh turned on its side? The ship capsized because it was top heavy and it also was built for speed and was built as a cargo ship. So like the person, who, the, the designers who built it did not build it to be a passenger ship. I wonder there if they two, loaded too quickly. They loaded I, too I quickly. They, yeah. They, every minute or something like that. Well, they also released the ballast. So it was up too high already oh, to get more people yeah, aboard. Right. It was. And they yeah. and the, actually the Titanic helped kill the Eastland, as I always say, because they overloaded it with lifeboats. So the thing was already top heavy. It was filled in with concrete on top. And so it capsized like somebody said, like an egg just rolling over. Yeah, you know. I read that some guy said it was like going back and forth yep. and he mm -hmm. couldn't it even listed, believe his yeah. eyes. And then people mm -hmm. were rolling down it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess he likened it to a bunch of kids rolling down a grassy hill. That's yeah. what he's uh, just kind of rolling right off. Trying to imagine this. I mean, oh my gosh, the I, terror. I, I yeah, and it's just and the I eyewitnesses. Mean, there was a nice reenactment done. It was was done on I, I saw it on Chicago's um public um, TV station, a nice documentary. documentary where they did a reenactment that, that just up uh, people and like people like my aunt were at the bottom. So that she was crushed. Oh geez. Oh, a lot of them were crushed. But um <sighs> There was a guy that I met who I used to have an Eastland Museum. He's long since retired it, but his I think his grandfather was one of the divers. And he, he was trying to, you know, get into the side with a blowtorch and the captain was coming after him for drilling holes in his ship. So then they went after the captain. I mean, I cannot imagine the pandemonium. No, of that. no, not not for not in the oh my gosh, no. I mean, I'm just like trying to imagine myself there. I mean, the terror of these but and a lot of these people were under just 25 like helpless. of these kids children you know? and yeah. whole families Infant. whole families were killed if you, yeah now if, if you get back to the to chicago be sure to see the bohemian national cemetery because i think most of the eastland victims are buried I'm there, there. yeah go see it. There, the beautiful statuary yeah. definitely want to go see it we have about five minutes left i wanted oh. you to i know i would love to have you back if you I'm want to come back yes because i mean, Bring me back, I mean Nicole. my goodness there's enough here for like a gazillion more episodes but um your book Get I where people can um, to buy it. Uh, I know you said it's global, which is awesome. Flower mm -hmm. in the River. I've seen the cover, guys. This is an mm -hmm. amazingly produced book. So oh, please, you. uh, please you, get you. yours. I can't wait to read it. So, but anyways, yeah. Sure, yes. A few minutes left. Talk about the book, where people can get it. Anything, sure. anything else you want to share? And then we'll sure, have just, you back for sure. You can go to my website, www. The name of the book is Flower in the River. Not flowers, but flower in the river all run together. My name is Natalie Zett. You can find me pretty easily. I'm on all the socials, so you can find me there. But you can buy it through Amazon. Through Again, I publish globally, so you can go to Barnes & Noble, any place you want. And um, and my my cover was designed by a Cleveland artist. He did the, the imaging. 
but the ultimate design was done by a lovely Ukrainian design agency. And before all this happened in Ukraine, but I was so glad to work with, I, I always have to keep it in the family. Oh, so yes. they did that. They did the cover. So shout out to Miblot. Oh my gosh. And totally. Kif. Totally. Slava Ukraina. So yes. Striking so. cover. I love covers when, you know, when you look at them, it's like, you just, you feel it. Yeah. You feel the energy that's, of the book just before they did you it. open it. The kids did it. So that's so, so thank you for having me on your show. I'm just such an honor. Yes. I mean, it really is an honor to talk with you. I'm like you. I've always been attracted to these misplaced forgotten stories. There's just something about them. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, your family is very proud of you um, you. for, for doing what you're, you know, doing what you've done. You're telling their story, you're letting it live. And so it's kind of like you're continuing their legacy. And I think that's just truly amazing very commendable very kind kind. thank you nicole absolutely so we'll definitely get you back on any last words of wisdom that you have sure just remember that um as i say as a genealogist i'll talk about that some other time we're all future dead people so make it work and keep a nice uh what what you want future generations to know about you yeah, yeah have, you call it the is it the memento memory yeah it's, it's like the stoic, yes. yeah it's like we are all future dead people and I, when you work with genealogy like i do and we'll talk about that maybe next time um sure. it's it brings it right home and it's, it's that, actually yeah. very comforting it's it's okay you know we'll all absolutely. meet again absolutely yeah well this is a phenomenal story thank you so much thank for you. taking your time to come on we'll definitely get you booked and probably like after the new year for sure that's great so awesome story again natalie's at flower in the river.com i've been to the site it's awesome so check that out next week we have john davis and so he is a near-death experiencer and he has one of the most profound near-death encounters i've ever heard of so really looking forward to having him on So thank you again, Natalie, for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. And uh, I guess that is about it. And we will see you next week. Have a good night, guys. See you next week. Have a good one. The truth is here and now on WLTKDV Radio at WLTKDV.com.